The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. A week ago Sunday, I was invited to do the service at a small summer church on Cousins Island, close to Portland, Maine. I talked about NDEs, of course, and the information they do and don't convey about eternity. Among those in the congregation was a woman who was 105 years old. And After the service, we were talking, as everyone does, and I, I asked her what her secret was to long life. Gardening, was her reply, and I do believe there could be something to that. After all, the good bacteria we encounter in the garden soil could be something we miss out on when we get everything we eat from the supermarket. Anyway, driving back from Portland, I couldn't help but think of the changes that woman had seen in her life, from horse-drawn farm equipment to men on the moon and more recently robots on Mars. Those changing decades would have taken her from weekly meetings at the Grange and church to instant news and entertainment from all parts of the world coming by satellite to a TV or computer anywhere within reach. A person born in 1911 was impacted by the First World War, the stock market crash of 29, and the resulting depression. World War II, the invention of talking movies, TV, nuclear bombs, the Cold War, the space race, the collapse of the Soviet Union, wars in Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan, just to mention a few and now, uh, of course, worldwide ISIS terrorism. Society went from the idea of one marriage for life to 50% divorce rates and gay weddings. The reality she was born into changed again and again between then and now. But then I thought, how much is any one individual influenced by the changing times they live through? We are born into family situations of all sorts, I mean, isn't that what determines our personal reality? Consider the range of circumstances. You can be raised in a setting that's loving or hurtful, religious or secular, well-off or poor, educated or uneducated, healthy or sick, and so forth and so on. Well, aren't those circumstances that lock us into our points of view, even as the larger society struggles through the cycles of war and peace, prosperity and depression, faithfulness, and secularism. Perhaps my 105-year-old never had to change her attitudes toward life much at all. How would her being born into a rural Maine sense of reality compare to the worldview of a 1920s flapper, for instance, in Chicago, or a depression alcoholic bum in the 1930s Bowery in New York, or a West Point captain serving in World War II, or a drugged-out soldier drafted into the war in Vietnam, or, of course, a black kid serving time in federal prison. Well, you get the idea. These alternative parallel realities might be more different than your life uh, compared to a uh, an alien gray from a UFO. We talk about the same patch of time in the same country as an era, but look at how different realities when that, within that era can be. Still, clearly, it's possible for individuals to become radicalized away from their first sense of reality 
by events outside their control and upbringing. Our realities can be changed. The man who drove a truck through the Bastille Day celebrations in Nice, France, for example, was apparently disturbed, depressed, and yet motivated by political-religious notions that lured him into mowing down dozens of men, women, and children at random. So whether he was motivated by depression or the meds he might have been on on account of that depression, or whether it was hope for heaven rather than hell in the next world by becoming a martyr to a cause few people in this country can even comprehend, who can say? (laughs) You know, the rest of the Western world looks at these terrorist activities and asks, why should someone go to heaven for committing multiple murders of innocent bystanders? The crime most people would claim deserves the deepest pit of hell. What pushes someone to change their life's direction so abruptly, and in the many cases of terrorism so violently? Well, some blame the effect of advertising ISIS uses on the Internet to attract young people to their cause. Some blame the tenets of a legalist religion, which makes salvation for a young man unlikely, unless he martyrs himself in the name of religious politics. In my talk on Cousins Island, I talked a little about the nature of consciousness and about my insight years ago while burning brush from a field I'd cleared that the main fire is an analogy for the nature of love of God, the source, while the sparks that fly away on their own are us, the individualists who want to try mirroring the fire of God in a tiny spark that will either fall back into the source again or burn out in the outer darkness of a tiny blaze, in a tiny blaze of glory. There's a longing many people of all beliefs carry in their hearts to live more important, more meaningful lives, to abandon their day-to-day humdrum routines to accomplish something great for the world or perhaps for God. So driving back from Cousins Island, I thought about the nature of consciousness. It's a topic being explored by uh, many people interested in NDEs, by people as sharp as Dr. Eben Alexander, for instance. But then I got to thinking, maybe it's even more important to figure out the nature of reality and the possibilities that exist for a variety of realities and what all that could mean for the lessons of NDEs. Well, almost as if it was an answer to my question, I turned on my car radio just in time to hear a rather lengthy report on a new, incredibly popular game called Pokemon Go. And incredibly popular doesn't really do it justice. In the first week this app was released, there were more people downloading it than all the Twitter accounts so far created. In less than a week, there were, in fact, some 21 million people who had signed on to a game based on something called Augmented Reality. First, for those few out there who don't yet know, let me explain the nature of the game. Pokemon Go is what is described as a location-based augmented reality mobile game. It came out of the old Pokemon game, but with huge ramifications for the way the characters are delivered to the player. And here's how uh, Wikipedia describes the play. After logging into the app for the first time, the player creates their avatar. The player then uh, chooses the avatar's gender, hair, skin, and eye color, and uh, chooses from a limited number of outfits. After the avatar is created, it is displayed 
at the cur- player's current location along with a map of the player's immediate surroundings. And this is, this display, by the way, takes place on a smartphone. Features on the map include a number of poke stops and Pokemon gyms. These are typically located at places of interest, and these locations are repurposed ingress portals. Um, Niantic, the company that created this thing, um, Ingress was one of their previously augmented reality games. As players travel the real world, their avatar moves along the game's map. Different Pokemon species reside in different areas of the world. For example, water-type Pokemon are generally found near water. Uh, when a player encounters a Pokemon, they may view it either in augmented reality, which we can call AR, or with a live rendered gener- uh, generic background. In other words, they've got on their phone a picture of where they are with this thing superimposed over it. AR mode uses the camera and gyroscope of the player's mobile device to display an image of a Pokemon as though it were the, in the real world. And players can take screenshots of the Pokemon they encounter either with or without the AR mode activated. And uh, Wikipedia goes on, unlike other installments in the Pokemon series, players in Pokemon Go do not battle wild Pokemon to capture them. During an encounter with a wild Pokemon, the player must or may throw a Pokeball at it. And if the Pokemon is successfully caught, it will come under the ownership of the player. Um, factors in the success rate of capture include the right force, the right time, and the type of Pokeball used. After capturing a wild Pokemon, the player is awarded two types of in-game currencies, candies and stardust. The candies awarded by a successful catch depend on what evolutionary chain a Pokemon belongs to, and it goes on and on. But you get the idea. These, these characters are superimposed on your smartphone or tablet into uh, the real world, just as you would ordinarily see it. In short, players walk around with their smartphones turned on, looking for strange cartoon characters superimposed on a picture of their own locations. In other words, the room or store or street you are standing in may have little creatures superimposed on it courtesy of your phone's GPS that you then try to capture by hitting them with a cartoon ball on the smartphone screen or tablet of your choice. Anyway, the game has gone viral. And probably by now you've heard news reports of players so intent at looking at their at their mobile devices that they've walked into poles, driven cars into trees, invaded private property, and now they're even being thrown out of museums and cemeteries where such uh, game-playing is definitely frowned upon. In the week that followed uh, my trip down to Cousins Island, along with news of politics and terrorism, uh, there were reports surfacing about Pokemon Go um, all over the place. Uh, and really, when you stop to think about it, uh, this technology, the first, this is the first step in a technology, basically, that could ultimately change our perceptions of reality far more effectively than the culture we're used to dealing with till now. Augmented reality, AR, the term used for the technology of the game, is... Uh, has potential 
and um, I see it influencing the way we see the world in the future, and of course, therefore, the way we think and act. It, this could uh, have a profound impact on on people's sense of what is actually real. First of all, the technology for imposing projected reality over what we ordinarily call the real world is is quickly changing. Instead of using your smartphone, for instance, uh, companies are busy developing much easier ways for experiencing the so-called augmented reality. For instance, eyeglasses already exist that could make today's smartphone screen image appear to be what you're actually looking at all the time through your glasses. Um, if people are driving into trees now, imagine what it would be like uh, to drive down the highway and suddenly some little creature uh, startles you uh, by appearing, say, on the on the road or on your dashboard. Um, if people are driving into trees now, uh, just think when some creature is suddenly projected into your reality, a, a deer on the road or even a person, you suddenly think you're going to hit, even though they're not really there. Okay, you say, but why would I be dumb enough to drive while wearing augmented reality glasses? Well, the thing is, these glasses are only the first step. What about a chip or contact lens that is actually implanted in your eye? Uh, this is not fanciful. They are working on these contact lenses even as we uh, think about it. And uh, these could... Uh, not only be removable contact lenses such as we, we use today, but it could be uh, something that becomes a permanent part of your body. And if that's the case, such a chip could be activated uh, to superimpose a reality with enormous potential for good or also for mind control. So think about, for a moment, about the possibilities. That, for instance, on the good side of things, a large part of your education could be delivered through a virtual teacher that appears in your field of vision to teach you math or literature, all the standard courses, as your own private tutor, teaching you at your optimal rate of learning speed. Or say you want to learn a sport like skiing. Moment by moment as you race downhill, your virtual instructor can guide you around the obstacles ahead, telling you how to lean, how to how to turn, how to... Uh, balance yourself, and so forth. Once the technology was up to speed, all the normal expenses of education, from kindergarten through graduate school, could be dramatically reduced because everything could be presented in virtual form. No live teachers, no school buildings, no no libraries, except those on the computer. Just projections of what you need to learn projected over your vision of your day-to-day -day reality. Well, in anticipation of such a world, chips and lenses could be implanted at birth. So the child of the future would be all set for their instructions. What a way to set the world up for mind control on a huge scale. And yet, if the incredible popularity of Pokemon Go is any measure, it seems people are more than ready to augment the reality of their lives with even cartoon monsters that have some folks out walking the streets like zombies looking for Pokemon critters to capture. 
Now, some of you at this point may be wondering, why, why am I devoting a show about near-death experience and other personal mystical experience to the Pokemon Go phenomenon? Well, let's look once again at the more general topic of augmented reality. And this is, uh, once again, I'm going to quote Wikipedia. Augmented reality is a live, direct, or indirect view of a physical, real-world environment whose elements are augmented or supplemented by computer-generated sensory input such as sound, video, graphics, or GPS data. It is related to a more general concept called mediated reality, in which a view of reality is modified, um, possibly even diminished. In other words, your perception of things in the real world could be uh, reduced rather than added to by a computer. As a result, the technology functions by enhancing one's current perception of reality. And then I should mention, by and they mention here, by contrast, virtual reality replaces the world, real world with a simulated one. In other words, like the Matrix movies, there is an entire reality ha- having nothing to do with the real world uh, that you're um, living in, exposed to, and believing that it's the whole thing, that it's the whole package. The uh, Depending on which pill you take, according to the Matrix movie. Um, augmentation, though, is conventionally in real time and in semantic context with environmental elements. Uh, and we've seen a small example of it, such as uh, sports scores on TV during a match, things overlaid um, that are not really on the playing field. Um, the the yellow line that indicates how many feet they have to go to to make the first down. Um, with the help of advanced AR technology, uh, and that's uh, adding computer vision and object recognition, the information about the surrounding real world of the user becomes interactive and digitally manipulative. Information about the environment and its objects is overlaid on the real world. And this information can be virtual or real, seeing other real sensed or measured information such as electromagnetic radio waves overlaid in exact alignment with where they actually are in space. That's quoting Wikipedia. Now, in light of AR, let's consider for a moment two of the most famous mystical experiences of the 20th century. The apparition of Mary at Fatima uh, during World War I, actually uh, 1917, I believe it was, <clears throat> and the ongoing appearance of Mary. This is Mary, the mother of God. This is um, uh, at Magigoria. Now, to quote Wikipedia on the latter about that those visions, since 1981, when six local children claimed they had seen visions of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Magigoria has become an unapproved destination of Catholic pilgrimage. Our Lady of Magigoria is the title given to the apparition by those who believe that Mary, Mother of Jesus, has been appearing from the 24th of June, 1981 until today to six children, now adults, of course, in Magigoria, uh, then part of uh, Yugoslavia. The most blessed Virgin Mary, Queen of Peace and Mother of God, these are words the apparition has allegedly introduced herself with. 
The visionary Marija Lunetti uh, claims to receive messages from the Virgin Mary on the 25th of every month, while Mariana Soldo reports receiving messages on the 2nd of the month. The messages attributed to Our Lady of Magigoria have a strong following among Catholics worldwide, and I would add to that uh, non-Catholics as well. Pilgrimages of both Catholics and non-Catholics have been amazing. Um, Magigoria has become one of the most popular pilgrimage sites for Catholics in the world and has turned into Europe's third most important apparition site. Um, each year, more than one million people are visiting it, even today. And it's been estimated that some 30 million pilgrims have come to Magigoria since the reputed apparitions began in 1981. Many have reported visual phenomena, including the sun spinning in the sky, and a similar, actually, uh, a similar uh, apparition of the sun was experienced in Fatima, too, where not only the kids who claimed to see Mary, but all of the people assembled there, and I think it was at, toward the end of the, of these apparitions, saw the sun not only spinning, but saw, they said, it coming toward them as if the earth were falling into the sun, and it terrified many people. This is seen by thousands of people who, of course, were later accused by skeptics of having mass hallucinations. But anyway, in Magigoria, many have reported visual phenomena, including the sun spinning in the sky or changing color, and figures such as hearts and crosses around the sun. Uh, some visitors have suffered eye damage. In fact, I had a friend that stared into the sun so long that I think she might have damaged her eyesight as well while seeking to experience such phenomena. A Jesuit father, Robert uh, Pharisee, has written about his own experience of such phenomena, saying, Yet I have seen rosaries which have changed color, and I have looked directly at the sun in Magigoria and have seen it seem to spin and turn different colors. It would be easier to report that it's just hysteria, except I would then have to accuse myself of being hysterical, which I was not and am not. That quote comes from uh, Wikipedia. It's impossible to know how much such reported appearances of Mary have influenced the course of history. How many minds have been pushed toward actions for the greater good as a result of such reported visions? Not to mention, of course, near-death experiences and other visions that we talk about um, frequently on this show. You know, many would say it's all imagined, of course, but what they haven't been able to say, up until now at least, is that it's a computer-generated delusion designed to make, say, the Catholic Church a more credible representative of Jesus and his mother Mary on earth. But I'm sure you can see where I'm going with this. How easy it would be for a church or a government or a corporation to lay miraculous happenings on the general public with an augmented reality chip implanted in the eyes of the beholders. The capacity for control, from crowd control to mind control for that matter, would be huge, pervasive, and ultimately lead to a complete loss of faith. When what we hoped was the voice of God becomes the voice of Big Brother, pretending to be God, 
we will have behavior modification with an inevitable loss of credibility in the sources for our information and our beliefs. Some of you out there <laughs> might remember a very funny Steve Martin movie called The Man with Two Brains. Martin's character, a brain surgeon, falls in love with a disembodied brain in a jar uh, with whom he can communicate. And the whole movie basically was making fun of a philosophical notion um, that you can explore, actually, uh, if you look up uh, a wiki entry titled Brain in a Vat. And I'll tell you a little about that, because this is uh, tending more toward um, where augmented reality crosses into virtual reality, at least in the philosophy of discussing what reality is all about. In philosophy, the brain in a vat, or some call it a brain in a jar, is a scenario used in a variety of thought experiments intended to draw out certain features of our ideas of knowledge, reality, truth, mind, consciousness, and meaning. Um, common to many science fiction stories, it outlines a scenario in which a mad scientist, machine, or other entity might remove a person's brain from the body, suspend it in a vat of life-sustaining liquid, and connect its neurons by wires to a supercomputer which would provide it with electrical impulses identical to those the brain normally receives. Then, according to such stories, the computer would then be simulating reality, including appropriate responses to the brain's own output, and the disembodied brain, literally disembodied brain, would continue to have perfectly normal conscious experiences such as those of a person with an embodied brain without these being related to objects or events in the real world. In other words, this information would be projected on the brain by the computer, and the brain wouldn't know the difference. Uh, to go on from Wiki, the simplest use of a brain in a vat scenario is an argument for philosophical skepticism and solipsism. A simple version of this runs as follows. This is the philosophy behind this discussion. Since the brain in a vat gives and receives exactly the same impulses as it would if it were in a skull, and since these are its only way of interacting with its environment, then it's not possible to tell from the perspective of that brain whether it's in a skull or in a vat. In other words, whether it's seeing reality as it would in the brain, in the skull or whether it's just um, believing what the computer is projecting at it. Yet, in the first case, most of the person's beliefs may be true if they believe, say, that they are walking down the street or eating ice cream. In the latter case, their beliefs are false. Since the argument says one cannot know whether one is a brain in a vat, then one cannot know whether most of one's beliefs might be completely false. Since, in principle, it's impossible to rule out oneself being a brain in a vat... <laughs> Since there cannot be good grounds for believing any of the things one believes, a skeptical argument would contend that one certainly cannot know them, uh, raising issues with the definition of knowledge. This, uh, there's so much uh, behind the philosophy of what reality is that we are going to have to uh, continue it at another time. One of the things that's really interesting is uh, the Hindu's notion of Maya, illusion, which is how uh, Buddhists too perceive the world that we call reality as being as as being something 
illusory. And that uh, Plato said the same thing when he talked about shadows in the cave um, being all that we're really seeing, that we're not really seeing reality. We're seeing projections of shadows of reality. And we are bound to uh, misconstrue the, the real nature of things that is a higher knowledge. Anyway, I would, I hope to have some further discussions on reality, both, both virtual and augmented and how it, how these things can, um, be used, um, in, uh, discrediting in the long run, discrediting a personal mystical experience. But anyway, we are out of time for today. If you'd like to listen again to this or any other of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about the work of IANS and our upcoming conference in Orlando, Florida, it's less than two weeks away now. Check out that website, iands.org. And tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening. <laughs>